We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. Not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. There are moral and legal obligation questions that I think we'll have to wrestle with as a society. When we as people go wobbly on the truth, we go wobbly on America. All you have to do is look at the numbers, look at what we've done. And this is only the beginning. Good morning, everyone. You're tuned in to 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. This is Evidence of Design. I'm your host, Jason Taylor, joined by my good friend and co-host, Matt Treadwell. Matt. We're pre-recorded because normally we're a live show, but because of COVID-19, we are not in person. But this show is first airing on Saturday, January 23rd, 2021. What is Evidence of Design all about? Why do we have a radio show? Well, we try to make the case that there is too much economic inequality in society. There's too much inequality and it's not covered enough. Not enough attention is given to it. There's so much economic inequality, not because of a historical accident or not because of some divine uh, you know, trajectory that makes it so that it's the only outcome possible for, for humanity. There's so much inequality, we argue, because of, well, not so helpful political, economic, and social policies. For too long, our policies in the United States of America has focused on what works well for businesses and corporations and what doesn't work well for human beings as individuals or for the social collection at large. So that's what we try to do on evidence of design is critique income and wealth inequality, investigate where it comes from, and provide solutions on what we can do as a society to reduce that inequality. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we will be talking about a few different things. We're going to start out, though, keeping it pretty light. Matt, we're going to go over uh, my favorite image of 2021 so far. It's, there's not many images that have come out, but th there was a great one from January 6th with uh, with the protesters on Capitol Hill with that with that guy who uh, stole the podium. I, I think that's beat, beaten out by, by an image of Bernie Sanders that folks might have seen on the internet. We're going to talk about that to start out light. But then we're going to get into the various executive orders that now President Joseph R. Biden has signed. He's so far signed, I, I, I think, as of this recording, 27 or more uh, executive orders. We're going to get into at least the first 17 of them that he signed into, well, I guess, you know, the law of the land, so to speak, uh, on his very first day of office this past Wednesday. We're going to cover that and more on Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR this hour. Matt, let's start out with uh, with old Bernard Sanders, probably the best politician in Washington. Uh, I, I, I would say I, I, I like the My favorite. Yeah, I, I certainly like the things that Bernie Sanders has to say. Uh, he seems like a pretty trustworthy guy to me, and he seems like he's looking out for the interests of the vast majority of Americans, if not, you could argue, all Americans, if you're talking about us having a sustainable society that doesn't just last as long as the next uh, you know, quarterly report due by companies to shareholders. So there is this fantastic meme 
well, there's a fantastic image this week that came out of the inauguration uh, in Capitol Hill of Bernie Sanders sitting cross-legged on the stands watching the proceedings, and it quickly turned into a, a bunch of memes. Matt, do you, do you know that image that I'm talking about? You know I do. And it's... Uh, so to describe it, if folks haven't seen it, you know, if you Google Bernie Sanders, it's going to pop up right for you. But uh, he, so Bernie Sanders, you know, old kind of, you know, white guy here. We've seen him a lot on TV the past four plus years. He's sitting cross-legged in one of the fold-out chairs on the stands in Capitol Hill. Uh, he's wearing a, a, a beige kind of puffy jacket and he's got his legs crossed and uh on his crossed legs he's got kind of his arms folded and they're ensconced by uh, these <laughs> giant woolly mittens that he's wearing and it looks uh, cold he looks cold because like it's, cold old man. <laughs> he certainly is uh, a cold old man in that photo. And I, he looks like he, how he is. And, and that's, I think one of the brilliant things about Bernie Sanders is there's no pretensions about him. Uh, he is who he is. You know, he's been saying the same stuff for 50 years in his political career, arguing against inequality, you know, fighting for social justice. Uh, even if there's not a lot of people besides him or around him doing that stuff, you know, he is who he is. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he displays uh, an outward appearance of a man who is constantly uh, late for the subway. <laughs> yes, indeed. He, he even there's other photos of him at, at the inauguration. He showed up holding like uh, looked like a check <laughs> and like a, a, a parcel of mail that he wanted to go send. <laughs> and so it's just so brilliant. I mean, he's already out. He's already got out there, you know, he's got to make the most of his trip <laughs> he's got other stuff to do that day just like you and me you know we, we we're living our lives and he's just he's just uh he's the picture of authenticity at least that's how i read it but i, I think my favorite part too is that he the mask he's wearing i don't think a lot of people caught on to this but the, he's wearing like the normal sort of disposable masks you know the blue ones that are that like every time you put them on for the first time you you sort of get get those little fibers in your mouth and nose uh just those little surgical mask things and, and it's like off center on his face but but it is completely covering his mouth and nose so he's wearing it properly uh and it's it just so great because there were so many people you know at the inauguration who are wearing these sort of fancier masks or whatever um they, but also not wearing them correctly such that they kept sort of touching the front of the mask or it wasn't over their nose and it's just you know bernie sanders doesn't care he puts a mask on if it fits and he goes about his life you know um it's such a great thing. And, and so many memes came about this with, with the image of Bernie sitting cross-legged with those mittens on him posted into like other, other uh, places, you know, whether it's the New York city subway or, or the star Trek enterprise or, or whatever else. And I, it certainly brought light to me. And it, I think it was a great way to, to kick off the, the Biden administration because while the attention certainly was on Biden, you know, it's his event, it's America's new president. Um, Bernie Sanders was the runner up and uh, he was the runner up also in 2016. And he has left an indelible mark on the Democratic Party. And it still remains to be seen what direction the party will go. It's already trended uh, in many ways towards the policies that Bernie Sanders has brought forth in our politics and changed our lexicon but um you know it's nice that he sort of didn't want the attention uh, he doesn't seek attention but but he, he sort of gets attention just out of out of who he is and what he stands for 
He may not have won the election, but he still has the dankest memes this side of the aisle. <laughs> but he, he won our hearts. So, so Matt, that, that is my favorite photo of 2021 so far. Again, we're only 21 days into 2021, at least as time of this recording. Uh, but um, I think they're going to stay up pretty high. I don't know. These are great photos. B- Bernie's photo just beats out the one from January 6th for me with, with the, the photo of that guy. Uh, I don't know. You call him a rioter, a protester, uh, he, clearly a Trump supporter who had, you know, uh, invaded the Capitol. The, and and walk- he, he took the podium from the the speaker's podium from yeah, there's that phenomenal that. photo of him just walking out, like with with the biggest smile on his face, like with a wave, and he's holding yeah. a podium, the 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 speaker's podium in his arm, like it's a giant podium, and there's a giant gold seal on it that says "Seal of the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives," and he's he's walking out like it's a Hobby Lobby that he just <laughs> had a gift card for from his from his aunt <laughs> from Christmas, you know. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you brought up both of these images, Jason, because my favorite of the Bernie memes so far has been one that our friend and co-host Mary Lawrence sent to us earlier today, which uh, superimposed Bernie over the the, uh, Speaker of the House's podium, so it looked like this guy was carting off Bernie (laughs) while waiting. I when Mary showed that to us I I I literally lolled you know it was it was fantastic and just god that's such a great photo you know that of that Trump the the guy's literally wearing like a a beanie that says Trump (laughs) it's just like this giant um it's it's just reads so much Trump because all Trump's only business success in his in his whole lifetime is just putting his name on stuff. You know, it's just like a fake marketing thing. And then this dude just has the marketing of, of his, you know, this dear uh, overlord on his hat. And he's just carrying a gilded podium out. <laughs> it's just brilliant. That is a, a, a light way to start the the Biden presidency. I think I'll always remember that, you know, of the of the, the Bernie meme. At least it started out the right way for me. But let's get on to some more serious stuff now on evidence of design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. Joseph Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States this week. Donald Trump was the first president in, I think, over 150 years not to attend his successor's inauguration. He chose instead to take Air Force One to Mar-a-Lago, which uh, was supposed to be a private residence and still is, I guess, according to to the law in which Trump sort of has the the lease agreement with Florida for. But he's going to make it his permanent residence anyways, because, you know, when did one would if, if Trump didn't follow the law before becoming president or when he was president, why would we think that he would care uh, after he's president? So, um, you know, Trump sort of left town early and went to Florida where he changed his residence from New York, even though that, you know, he was a lifelong New Yorker and his, his parents were New Yorkers because um, uh, I don't think New York City really wants him there anymore. <laughs> so uh, wisely got out. Yeah. So anyways, Joseph Biden sworn in and he has a call for unity, Matt. Did you listen to his inauguration speech by any chance? No, not at all. Yeah, I I remember Trump's inauguration speech from 2016. That was the American carnage thing. American carnage. American carnage. American carnage. Says it 20 times in a speech. Um, you There's going to be a lot of American carnage, people. We're <laughs> it's, I'm going to cause it. <laughs> <laughs> the idea you know because trump's politics was just uh 
white grievance towards imagined problems or, or i'll give it this problems that do exist but um the causes of well, which are not the ones that the people who are grieved think they are <laughs> you know like I, i'll say he uh among his many <laughs> among, among the many sort of sentiments that he tapped into was a very real uh lower class middle class working class whatever you want to say um grievance that was as it has as it has been very very many times in the past redirected uh towards racist uh, excuses and and uh, scapegoats right yeah and he certainly channeled that sort of um true but also false grievance well into nefarious purposes as we've had to live through for the past well four plus years and as we will continue to live through as we deal with those scars and so Biden, Biden's main message to, to, to us, uh, especially during the campaign trail, but also now that he's president and during his inauguration speech was unity. We need to uh, take a deep breath. We need to step back from the edge. We need to look one another in the <laughs> eye and see each other as humans and as people and work together for the common good. And he said the thing that every politician says but they don't mean which is i will be the president for all people and even if you don't agree with me i will still fight for you and the thing i think about that is really joe biden are, are you going to be fighting for those people who invaded the capital <laughs> you know are you going to be fighting for those white nationalists are you um, going to be fighting for those people who even voted for you right yeah ex- Right. Yeah, great point. You know, um, who, who are you actually fighting for? And we covered this on the show before where, where Joe Biden has talked about, you know, he wants to, to be the president for all the people. And Matt, I think you said it really powerfully. Uh, you know, he was using this in an economic sense where uh, I'm going to help everyone out. And you made the comparison, I think, well said that it's basically the all lives matter equivalent to politics. You know, where if you're going to say, I'm going to I'm going to look out for everyone, I'm going to be the president for all people. It, it's essentially the all lives matter equivalent to to Black Lives Matter. It, it misses the point. Of course, this is not to yeah. say that one group of people should be punished by an administration, but it, it's just to say, as a leader, you stand for certain values and principles that you should be putting forward. And we need to know what those values and principles are. Uh, you know, unity doesn't really meet like what are we unifying for you know or around or around yeah and and i hope that democrats nazis were big on unity. i'm sorry i said the nazis are big on unity just as an example <laughs> totally yeah you know forced compliance is a form of unity look at look at china look at russia you know they very unified countries you know not much dis- not much dissidence there uh, so um I hope Democrats don't fall into this trap of having this sort of soft language, like things like unity or inclusion, you know, things that can mean good things, things that are important, but that need to actually speak to material things that benefit and change people's lives in a specific way for a specific purpose. Because, uh, you know, I'm not dumb. Uh, I think the vast majority of Americans who sort of uh, are subsumed in our politics aren't dumb. You know, when someone says unity or whatever, like it, it doesn't it doesn't do much, I, I think. And, and so I hope we get more out of Biden and, and the Democrats right now than than just the sort of false narrative of unity, because um, 
the QAnon supporters not sure they care <laughs> too much about unity. Um, and even if they do, not sure they believe in the same things that would mean unity for Joe Biden or a Democrat than, than, for, than for them, right? So, so we, have, we have bigger problems than empty rhetoric. And, Real and how quick, we can, did you see? Yeah. No, go ahead. Well, just how we can solve these problems, I think, is by advancing a material politics that helps to meet people's basic needs and uh, and reduces the potential for material precarity, meaning reduces the potential for people to feel alienated from um, housing, from lack of wages, from lack of health care, or from feeling misheard from politicians, which I think is where a lot of this sort of white grievance comes from. It's subsumed also in this economic precarity as well. Um, but, you know, go for it, Matt. Did you see that as as late as uh, yesterday morning before the inauguration that there were QAnon people posting that they were holding out hope that Trump was going to swoop in and like arrest Biden and all the, you know, hidden uh, uh, sex cabals that run the, the world government and finally bring them to justice? Yeah, you know, there's there's been a lot of conspiracies out of the Biden administration. I mean, <laughs> out of the QAnon folks, out of out of the far right, out of uh, mainstream Republicans. You know, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, uh, Donald Trump. You know, those that, that's not the far right. I mean, they're they, they used to be the far right, but now they're now they're essentially mainstream Republicans. So you know, that's the issue with our modern politics, and uh, one of the issues in our modern politics in the Republican Party. Uh, for instance, coming out of this uh, inauguration ceremony, Joe Biden, one of his Secret Service members was Asian, and so there's been uh, conspiracy theories online that like this proves that Joe Biden is uh, is a puppet of Xi Jinping, you know, of China, uh, because because he has an Asian uh, Secret Service member who was his handler. Uh, obviously, that's like oh, that makes sense. Total, total makes sense. It's obviously racist, you know, and and just stupid. Uh, but uh, these are these are people, you know. These are these are quote normal everyday Americans who you would see at Walmart or the gas station or your kid's school, you know, whatever. So we have to do a better job and whatever we can to um, to show people our humanity to recognize other people's humanity and to uh, advance politics that meet material needs, which is also an example of a way to recognize someone's humanity. Uh, it's perhaps easier said than done, but that's the only way to do it. And there's nothing wrong, I think, with calling out things that are wrong. Like QAnon supporters are wrong. You know, they shouldn't believe what they believe, but they do. And we got to deal with them, right? So, uh, just as a reminder, you're tuned in to 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester, and you're listening to Evidence of Design. Let's talk now about 17 executive orders that Joe Biden signed on his first day in office this past Wednesday. Matt, a lot of these were aimed at uh, reversing some of the worst perversities of the Trump administration, things that he passed through executive order hastily and that have been yeah, around we were not leaving the world health organization right so let's take a look at some of these executive actions for instance uh joe biden has signed uh, a 100 day masking challenge this is asking all americans to wear masks for 100 days in order to fight covid19 uh, he requires masks and physical distancing in all federal buildings on federal lands and he urges state and local governments to also do the same. 
So of course he doesn't have power over state and local government laws in that way, but he urges state and local governments to uh, enact you know mask mandates and social distancing. So he's urging all Americans to wear masks. This is something Trump didn't urge Americans to do. Indeed, Trump himself didn't wear a mask. So um, <laughs> big difference. Trump also got COVID, by the way. Yeah, he, he, Trump also did get COVID, and uh, he got the best medical care in the world, literally. And he, there's reason to believe that he he, he wouldn't have survived if. Um, if he wasn't the president. <laughs> he also turned the White House into a super spreader event. Yeah. Like multiple times. And and beyond that, he, he, he also is directly responsible and culpable for the United States' unique disaster response to COVID-19. There's more than 400,000 Americans who've died from COVID-19 in 10 months that number is going to grow to 500,000 it's projected in just a few weeks. The virus is the worst it's ever been in the United States. And even though we have a vaccine, uh, his administration has essentially had zero plan to administer it and distribute it such that great, we have a vaccine guys, but it's, it's not getting used or distributed. So um, I think one of the most heinous acts coming out of the, of the Trump administration is, is, uh, is Trump's complete, an utter failure to contend with this virus. You know, the one that he said uh, back in January, February, March, April, that it was nothing worse than the flu and it would go away on its own accord. Uh, and fast forward now, more than 400,000 Americans are dead. It's simply appalling. And, and I don't think there's enough. I don't think we've sort of recognized it yet, you know, because we're still in it. Um, no, I, no, no. I mean, it's also, it's just so invisible. Like, there's yeah. no, I mean, the, the, I think like the, the most... Um, sort of con- concrete imagery to emerge from this pandemic has been the, you know, the faces of doctors and nurses with their um, bruised fe- features from wearing masks for, you know, 38 hours or however long their shifts have been. And all, of course, the, the, the photos of uh, hospitals overcrowded and, and uh, set to bursting. It's, it's so awful. Yeah, it doesn't it's... compare to anything like seeing um, the Twin Towers be demolished by by planes. You know, it's just right. not. It doesn't have the same power behind the imagery, and, and uh, even though it's killed, you know, thousands of times more people. It. it people don't realize this. So you know, a little more than two thousand Americans died from 9-11 it was like 2700 i think yeah yeah more than 2000 Uh, there are days recently from the pandemic where there are almost two 9-11s happening a day in the united states from how many people die you know four thousand americans dead from covid in one day four thousand five hundred it's just there are 9-11s happening every single day in the united states in terms of lives lost and it's just it's astonishing it's, it's horrifying. And uh, it's just, it goes to show you what happens when we have ineffective people in government. Government is created to help people. It's created to use science and data and reason to solve problems. And when you have someone in office who either doesn't believe in science or doesn't follow reason <laughs> um, or care, or doesn't have the empathy to even care about people, th- this is what happens. And, uh, you know, it could be worse. It certainly could be worse. And, and um, 
Joe Biden at least is night and day to Trump, it seems, for someone who actually believes in COVID-19 and is going to take steps to, to solve it. And one of those steps he's taking is to launch a 100-day mask challenge. But more than that, he's also uh, stopping the United States' withdrawal from the World Health Organization, and Dr. Anthony Fauci will become the head of uh, the U.S. delegation to the World Health Organization. I think that's a great thing. I think the WHO, um, it, you know, is a multilateral institution that Donald Trump and, and the far right, of course, hate. Um, I think multilateral, multinational institutions are not a bad thing inherently. And uh, I, I'm glad to see that we are going to return to the world stage as a leader in multinational institutions. Biden is also in an executive order going to create the position of a COVID-19 response coordinator. This is someone who directly reports to President Biden and manages efforts to uh, get the vaccine produced and out to people. So this won't be a task force made up of um, Mike Pence and also, who was that guy? Uh, not Azar. Um, the, the dude who, <laughs> the guy at one point who was in charge of the U.S.'s COVID-19 response team in the Trump administration, who basically said, there's nothing we can do to stop the virus. In fact, more people should get infected so we can just reach herd oh, immunity. Yeah. Was his name Faber? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah. You know, you know, that guy um, <laughs> said that, you know, it's 2021. We don't have science. Um, we don't have tech, human technology. We basically just have what humans have used for the past 10,000 years with viruses. And that's with we get sick. And then those who happen to die are not deemed worthy enough to continue living as humans. And therefore, <laughs> we let survival of the fittest herd immunity decide what happens to society. That that was the guy running our um, COVID. 19 response task force for the I, nation. this guy sounds like a bad anime villain from the 90s <laughs> the strong rule the weak rule yeah it's like the most outdated um european colonists <laughs> mindset you know it's, it's 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 silly it's 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 silly how sad it is so uh, a new COVID-19 response team that joe biden has created who reports directly to him it'll be uh, led by uh, experts and scientists and not business people and crackpots. Other things, not just about, well, we should also say that on the day of this recording, Thursday, January 21st, Joe Biden passed or signed uh, 10 other uh, executive orders on COVID-19 themselves. We won't cover them here, but the, the 10 other things to really help the nation fight COVID-19. I think these are great. Let's cover the other executive actions he passed on day one in office, though, past Wednesday. This one's about the economy. I think this is fantastic. He extends the nationwide moratorium on evictions and foreclosures until at least March 31st. So we've seen this extension go down the road multiple times so far to prevent people who have either lost income or their jobs throughout COVID-19 from being evicted or foreclosed on. This is great that he's extending the national moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. And we've seen this is happen that, locally for a lot. Is that freezing rent payments from accumulating, though? I don't think so. Um, so there are housing advocates who are pushing of course, for more uh, uh, generous, I don't know if generous is the right word, more humane, you could argue. <laughs> um, more ways, reasonable. More reasonable, yeah, ways to keep people in their homes. I, I don't think that is that yet. And so, um, you know, totally would, would love to see better things like that too, Matt. 
other other parts uh, that Joe Biden passed for the executive actions, he's extending the pause on student loan payments and the accrual of interest on student loans. Th that's for Americans only with federal student loans until at least September 30th. So it's almost going to be a year and a half by September 30th where uh, those with federal student loans don't have interest accruing or have to pay back loans. This is fantastic, I think. Of course, it's still up in the air whether Congress will actually pass student loan forgiveness that, you know, Bernie Sanders has proposed and other folks like Chuck Schumer have at least brought up. But um, that's a that's a good thing to pass on day one. Joe Biden also has committed the U.S. to rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. I think that's fantastic. Is it all that we need to do to fight climate change? No, but a great step in the uh, right direction. Joe Biden also cancels. That's that we took five years ago. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's totally. It's it's so little, so late, but um, at least it's like a nominal commitment. You know, I mean, it's it's certainly in the right direction, right? That is better than leaving the Paris Climate Accord out of like the idea that the U.S. is somehow getting ripped off <laughs> from other nations for climate, or the idea that like it'll hurt businesses too much. You know, it'll hurt businesses too much. Uh, us all being dead so you know, it's like it, it's it half the country's under yeah it doesn't make any sense you're not gonna have much business when people are dead or uh there's mass migrations or, or you know total businesses go under because of, of climate catastrophe so um we'd love and, and biden is committed at least rhetorically to to taking a much stronger stance on climate change he also canceled the keystone xl pipeline uh contracts and directed federal agencies to to reverse more than 100 Trump actions on the environment. This is this is a big deal too. Um, uh, Trump's policy towards the Environmental Protection Agency and the environment was, um, you know, it's too large. Get rid of all the trees. <laughs> Get rid of the trees. Gold does his gold plaques don't look that great on green. So uh, get rid of anything that's green is basically um, what he what his plan was, I guess. And this Keystone XL pipeline, this is, I swear to God, this has been in the news since like Obama's first term or something where they've started and stopped and started and stopped. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know like what's going on with this thing, man. It's, it's like our, I don't, I don't even know. I don't yeah. Know. Well, well, here, here's something I do know is that Biden is also halting the construction of the border wall and terminating the, um, uh, not terminating he's pausing several of the 15 billion dollar contracts that the government is used to fund the construction of it so uh, remember when donald trump was running for president and he was campaigning on infrastructure and saying that oh our airports and roads are in shambles we look like a third world country which is also derogatory uh every other nation has nicer stuff we need we need better infrastructure and people were like yeah infrastructure made in america building stuff <laughs> and then and then all we get out of the trump four years of infrastructure is an oil pipeline that has been <laughs> under construction <laughs> a decade and um a medieval wall on our southern border that that's that's our that's america's infrastructure you know <laughs> and well, was, that should teach all those people uh for getting hard on for something like infrastructure yeah well so i i think infrastructure is a no-brainer for politician like politicians love to have things built 
because then they can like show people a physical thing Matt, it's like what you're talking about earlier where you know deaths from COVID-19 are hard to see because there's been an invisibilization of the virus because we're virtual we're not in hospitals to see loved ones who are sick or, or dying uh, an invisibilization right and so uh construction projects and infrastructure really break that invisibilization, even in normal non-pandemic times when we're walking about our lives, because we can see people building stuff and it changes the landscape and we can inhabit physically with construction. Uh, so I, I think infrastructure is a no-brainer for politicians who want to say to people, look at this thing that we did in this administration, this is why you should reelect me and this is why we're good. But also infrastructure like genuinely helps people in their lives, you know, whether it's building um, internet, access or better uh, sewage and, and water treatments or, um, you know, environmental things to allow agriculture to be more effective or to keep, uh, you know, more parks and better transportation systems. Like there's so many things that infrastructure can do. And, and if you think about what, like, what has the United States done in the past, I don't even know, 50 years for infrastructure, like what new things has like the United the States done? Like the Keystone Pipeline being built for the last fifty years. At this point, <laughs> it's it's taken us ten years to to debate the building of a pipeline that carries fossil fuels across the, like uh, most of the U.S. and through sacred Native American land. Like that has been <laughs> our our um our ticket to to infrastructure it's like a catastrophe and, and why this has happened is because it's not been profitable in the neoliberal capitalist system for the government to do anything you know well, i mean you know you have to raise taxes in order to pay for infrastructure and yeah like and, and roads don't sell you know even private private financiers why isn't jeff bezos and elon musk worth 400 billion dollars collectively in investing in infrastructure because it doesn't it doesn't sell anything you know it's, well it's, also because they've already given up on this planet and they're turning their focus towards mars totally so they to, they're building to rockets leave, all to burn to leave the planet and, <laughs> yeah. and die horribly yeah and like so, other planet of rape and pillage <laughs> So, you know, as someone who lives in Rochester, New York, dude, I, I have wanted to go to Buffalo or Cleveland all the time just for like a day trip or a weekend, you know, and I, and I don't feel like driving. And also because I've had cars that haven't been reliable. And so I would love to take a train, you know, if I want to take a train to Cleveland, I think the only train from Rochester to Cleveland leaves at, I think, 1.30 in the morning. And so if I want to go to Cleveland, I have to pull an all-nighter by train. You know, it's like, it's so sad that in 2021, in the most powerful, prosperous nation on the earth, that the only way it can get from A to B is to drive. And it just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, I don't know uh, if Biden has anything up his sleeve for, for, for infrastructure. This is the thing that it seems that Washington, Well, this, is, this sounds like a job for Pete Buttigieg to me. <laughs> As transportation secretary, yeah. You know, basically what we get to in our modern politics is to solve any of the major crises that we're facing is we need wide scale uh, restructuring of the way things are done. You know, and, and that and it's simply not going to happen when we're concerned with like conspiracy theories or um, 
when we're concerned with like the next quarterly report on a financial statement, or when we have Mitch McConnell in the Senate, who's willing to obstruct the functioning of government just because he doesn't believe in government like that. It doesn't happen. And this is why uh, people are frustrated and angry and tune into conspiracy theories because they've realized that their lives, uh, that they don't have structures in life that support them. (laughs) <laughs> that the government isn't something to be trusted or believed in, and therefore they come up with conspiracy theories to, to to make sense of the world around them because you know they're told that they should believe in in the government who looks out for them and they want unifying and diversity, but then in in reality they get nothing. They get stagnating wages, um, crumbling roads, and precarious healthcare, and no trains, and and no trains. Yeah, and so um, you know I sort of digress, but. Uh, <laughs> Just remember this, folks. The key, the key infrastructure platform that came out of the Trump administration was a fifteen billion dollar um, medieval wall on uh, the, the smallest percentage of the the, the U.S. Mexico border. Awesome job. We're going to go through a few other of Biden's executive actions that he signed on his first day in office as president. You're listening to Evidence of Design on one hundred point nine FM WXIR in Rochester. Matt, this is a great one. Um, I'm not sure if people have heard about this, but he rescinded the Trump administration's 1776 commission. No, I've heard. <laughs> so, um, I had to can, read it. Can you tell us about this 7076 commission and the report they released this Monday on Martin Luther King Day, two days before <laughs> Trump was out of office? Yeah, thanks for making me read this, by the way. <laughs> I'm delighted to share some excerpts with you. What is it? What is the 1776 commission? It's Trump's like revenge porn for the New York Times 1619 project. (laughs) What was that? So the 1619 project, I, I can't remember. Is this, is this an actual curriculum or it was just like the New York Times advocating that, uh, schools teach history from more perspectives than just rich white men in, in history. Sounds good to me. Well, I'm I'm asking you, isn't that it? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't remember more which one. Like, yes, but it, it it was an effort to frame American history through what could be argued as a more realistic uh understanding of our history one that is inclusive of more people than rich white men and not necessarily just because uh rich white men are inherently evil but because the truth of america is that this country got to be what it is today and was built on and by most people who were not just rich white men, right? Everyone included, uh, contributed to it. Even people who were not considered people, i.e. slaves by these rich white men. Yeah. So, so that really got under Trump's skin, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of, and I mean, this is like, I guess not uncommon amongst Republicans and conservatives is that, you know, the left and uh, progressive minded people are, are just trying to disparage America and tear down this great country because they don't actually believe in or support the things that America stands for. And they don't see or they're just trying to destroy what's great about America. And why can't they just appreciate how great things are and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, 
Trump commissioned a report called the 1776 Projects. Um, and it was released a few days ago. Promptly, as you said, Jason, uh, rejected from or rejected by Biden. I was actually reading it on the White House website it was posted on. And then when I when I turned the tab on again earlier this morning, uh, it couldn't be found because it had already been taken down. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> what, yeah. was, what was in the report? Why was it rejected? Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I could just read it. <laughs> Let's hear it. Well, is it, it's only it's only it's yeah. only like 26 pages you know this summative it, it, accounts yeah, it, of how u.s history should be taught and conceived literally only like 20 pages long yeah and like so they they start out by saying you know america's great it, it's the best place on earth uh better than places not found on earth at even like uh people die and go to heaven and, and they end up just wanting to go back to america because of how great it is here and um <laughs> Yeah, uh, they said. I just want to read real quick. They um, the report lists some challenges to America's like founding principles that it has faced throughout its uh, two hundred plus in their in, in you know in their worldview two hundred plus year history, and those include slavery, fascism, communism, racism, and identity politics, and progressivism. Progressivism. Yeah. Dude, I have, dirty, dirty liberals. I have always thought that the worst thing about America has been the people in the late 1800s, the progressives and early 1900s who fought for the 40 hour work week and for children of the age of six not to work in factories. I always thought that American history like that is what's wrong with America. I'm glad well, that that's why you started a radio show, right? <laughs> Glad that other people finally share my views. Yeah. So, I mean, this, uh, it's a hoot. I mean, you should give it a look if you're at all interested. Um, but I thought I just, I pulled some quotes that I thought were really funny. Oh, let's hear them. So, in, in the introduction, they're talking about, you know, America's a republic, by the way. It's a republican form of government. And they, they really hammer that in. Um, and they're talking about why uh, America's unique brand of republicanism has managed to endure as long as it has when other forms of republicanism throughout history have failed. And they write, the main causes of prior Republican failure were class conflict and tyranny of the majority. In the simplest terms, the largest single faction in any republic would tend to band together and unwisely wield their numerical strength against unpopular minorities, leading to conflict and eventual collapse. The founders' primary rem remedy was union itself. Against the old idea that republics had to be small, the founders countered that the very smallness of prior republics all but guaranteed their failure. In small republics, the majority can more easily organize itself into a dominant faction. In large republics, interests become too numerous for any single faction to dominate. America, so, too small. Make it big. Yeah, I, cer I certainly hear like the idea that w we don't want there to be a sea change of government every time there is a new um, grievance 
that is formed in the collective conscious, right? We want sort of some longevity or process by which to work out those grievances without violent revolution. But um, I, I certainly think that when it comes to like class struggle and uh, uh, majorities working together against a minority that seeks to look out for its own interests at the expense of the majority, I mean, that, um, that certainly sounds like the American Revolution, you know? <laughs> Uh, it certainly sounds like what could be modern class struggle against uh, the neoliberal capitalist 1%. Yeah, I mean, I think the the use of the phrase, the tyranny of the majority is very telling. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've heard, you know, Republicans love to talk about Republicanism, I think just because it sounds like their own party name. So they get like goosebumps because they they sort of feel like, oh, the words are similar. So that must mean that the Republican Party is the real party because, uh, you know, the names are the same or whatever, you know, something ridiculous like that. But we, we've also, and we covered on the show before, Republican. I think that works, honestly. I yeah. don't think that rock for, like, for you know, uh, leaning into that. Sure. People buy it. But we've also heard Republicans sort of say that, you know, the U.S. isn't a democracy. We don't have to be a democracy. We're a republic. And that means there's a small group of elected people who hold the power to decide how you live your life. You know, that's not in theory what it should be. Elected representatives should be beholden to the interests of the people. But um, American politics simply isn't like that anymore. You know, elected leaders do not represent the interests of the people uh, by and large. Um, I mean, not only do we have a have we had over the past um, I mean, not only do we have a political party, one of two uh, political parties of any significance in this country that increasingly represents the interest of a more and more minute number of people. Um, yeah, the very idea uh, uh, of of having of that party's own base, you know, seizing power for itself is actually terrifying to to the the politicians that represent them. I mean, I think it's one of the most um, striking things I think to have happened out of Trump's entire presidency was the response by uh, most Republican politicians serving in Congress to the so-called insurrection a couple of weeks ago at, at the Capitol building and how just full of contempt most of them were. I think with the the responses that most senators and and gave and and also members of the House, you saw that the the Republican Party is actually very afraid and and actually despises the people that vote for them. These Republicans, they uh, have have uh, fomented and um, stoked these the the worst impulses of their voter base for so long. And, And at the same time, they don't even. They 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 think they're just a bunch of dumb rubes and pigs. Yeah, they're a means to their true ends, which is corporate dominance of America, which is tax cuts, and which is justice judges and Supreme Court justices who will uh, give them court decisions that will prevent workers from having power i i don't i actually i actually really truly don't believe that republican like a republican establishment really cares about things like abortion you know or even gun rights they don't they don't really care about that stuff i think all they really care about is making sure that 
their, because most of them are business owners, that their corporations and that their corporate backers can continue to wield outsized power in America. And that's why Mitch McConnell's sole, uh, you know, his sole thing that he fights for and that he's known for in, in Washington is um, having unlimited money in corporate in, in, in politics. That's his thing. That's why Mitch McConnell and John McCain hated one another, because John McCain, a Republican darling, uh, fought for... Uh, you know, corporate um, t- caps on on corporate spending in politics, and Mitch McConnell fought against that, and Mitch McConnell won, and and that's why Mitch McConnell and John McCain hated each other, and why Mitch McConnell, um, you know, did a, did a bunch of things after John McCain died, like he prevented the renaming of a building which is named after a racist um, senator or something in, in U.S. politics. You know, uh, he prevented the renaming of that building to to the John McCain building. <clears throat> And so it just, it just goes to show that like, you know, these Republicans don't actually care about like, like things that the Republican base might, might care about like abortion or, or gun rights or whatever. They just care about corporate power. Even more so they don't care about actually improving the lives of the people that they claim to serve. Oh, totally. I mean, their, their whole thing is to reduce the lot. I mean, well, I mean, it's not their goal to reduce the lives, but in effect, their policies reduce the material benefits of the people they serve. The, I, I, I don't want to get too off topic, Matt, but this is a, a perfect sort of um, tie in. There's a fantastic article uh, in the New York Times this week. Oh boy, it's called How the American Unemployment System Failed. It, it's by Eduardo Porto and Carl Russell. And it goes into looking at uh, how the unemployment system in America is, is outdated and hasn't worked too well. For instance, um, only 27% of unemployed workers received unemployment in 2019. Uh, and when you're on unemployment, if you can even get on it, you receive an average of one third of your prior wages. That's less than what it was in the 1940s. Taxes levied to raise funds for unemployment has been the same since the 1970s, meaning like funding for unemployment hasn't really gone up besides federal uh, stimulus, which by the way, unemployment is largely a state-run system. And if the average wages you receive on unemployment are one-third of your prior wages, if you're a low-wage worker, to begin with, your unemployment compensation, if you're lucky enough to even get on it, because again, only 20%, 27% of unemployed workers get unemployment. So if you're a low-wage worker lucky enough to get unemployment, you're basically destitute with what you get. And it doesn't even matter because if you're a low-wage worker, you probably don't make enough to begin with to qualify for unemployment. And so if you look at the states that have the highest percentages of um, people on unemployment, all of the states with the highest percentages, you know, 50% or above or 35% or above, which isn't even that high, you know, New York is like 35% above the national average. But um, all of those states are blue states. All of the states at the very bottom of the list with like 5% of unemployed people on unemployment, they're all red states. You know, that's just one example of, um, of Republican politics hurting people <laughs> their material needs you know um this is just unemployment insurance we can look at healthcare. we can look at um, a million other things but yeah i mean it's it's, it's really sad and if democrats should seize the day seize the moments do big fdr style bold policies while they have the next two years with the presidency and the slimmest of majorities in congress to pass giant sweeping legislation will it be easy absolutely not when there's a 50 50 split and republicans as of now can still wield the filibuster but we got to try otherwise 2022 comes around and um 
you know, Republicans will take back one of the seats in in the in the in Congress. Probably more than one. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Oh, um, I got another quote for you. Yeah, um, we should probably should do it real, qu- real quick here, if you don't mind, just so we can uh, do our last bit. No, it's a quickie. This is talking about um, slave ownership and how it wasn't a, uh, it was not a hypocritical thing for the founding fathers to own slaves when they uh, created a document like the Declaration of Independence, which says that all men are created free and equal. (laughs) Uh, George Washington owned slaves, but came to detest the practice and wished for, quote, a plan adopted for the abolition of it, end quote. By the end of his life, he freed all the slaves in his family estate. I think that's a really funny way of saying that he owned slaves all his life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I don't even know what to say to that, man. Like, I, I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that, like, the founding fathers owned slaves. I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that, like, Nathaniel Rochester owned slaves. You know, we went through that over the summer where uh, there's a lot of reporting on that. Um, and, and a statue was defaced on South Avenue and, and things of that nature. I mean, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, we that. have to we got to we got to come to terms with this in america you know does it does it mean all those people were inherently demons like i i don't you know i i, I don't think so i mean they were certainly not great <laughs> um they certainly did inhumane things but they also did good things and and that like creating uh an attempt to have representative government in, in a way that wasn't conceived before so um we, we certainly just can't have it black or white you know pun intended and um we need to do a better job at least of recognizing the injustices of slavery and uh the, the how the african-american community was barred from gaining capital necessary to make their material ends meet and why today we need to make amends for that not just through empty rhetoric of diversity and unity but by actually making a difference by allowing people to make their material needs meet and of course by trying to fight systemic racism and however that happens to manifest you know yeah i mean i don't think we need to necessarily get hung up on like Like criticizing somebody like George Washington could you could you can obviously see how somebody might get upset because oh that's like a founding father he's supposed to be someone we look up to and revere well I mean like just because somebody had some good ideas uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to revere the person who made them I mean he could have been like a total dingus uh, <laughs> this is a, this is a, I'm phrasing this really poorly but you know like just because ideas have merit regardless of who came up with them and you don't need to, and you can, you can sort of support an idea without having to, uh, you know, uh, whitewash history or, or, um, you know, elevate, uh, people in your mind. Right. Like just because, um, you know, a representative form of government could be a good idea. It doesn't mean we have to not also, we can just forgive the fact that George Washington owned slaves or that we even need to. Yeah. I always, I always think of the most important phrase in our uh, political lexicon is in order to create a more perfect union. That's what we should always be striving for to create a more perfect union. 
And I think inherently, like, you know, if you look at conservatism versus progressivism, like progressives are trying to create a more perfect union. Conservatives don't want that. They want status quo. They want something that could be less perfect than what it is in the future. Of course, I could counter argument that what you're trying to create in the future is worse than what we have now. But um, I, I think that's a pretty, pretty dead end argument and uh, not exactly real and doesn't preclude us from fighting for a more perfect future. Thanks for listening to Evidence of Design. I was your host, Jason Taylor, joined by my good friend and co-host, Matt Treadwell. Breathe through your nose. You can always find our past episodes on YouTube or wherever you else you get your podcast. Search for Evidence of Design. You can also stay in touch with us at our email, radioeod at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at radioeod. EOD, of course, standing for Evidence of Design. Thank you to WXIR 100.9 FM for providing this platform for grassroots radio and conversation here in Rochester. We look forward to being back in person soon to get to chat with you uh, live as well. Until then, be well, be safe, take care, and bye-bye.